0: This is an AMI podcast.
1: Hello,
2: I'm Joyita Gupta, host of The Pulse on AMI-audio. It's a show featuring in-depth conversation about the biggest challenges facing the disability community. With today's
1: fast-paced news cycles, it's often hard to get the big picture. Join me and other members of the disability community as we take a deeper dive into the issues that matter to you. Listen to The Pulse wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. Hey, today it's all about hiking hills and climbing mountains. We're taking you to Kananaskis Country in Alberta, the foothills. The Rockies are the youngest mountains in the world and they have a lot of splendor to offer. It's not just Banff National Park, folks. you got to check out Kananaskis Country. But before we get there, we've got to do some studying with Miss Lily about Braille trails and sensory gardens. And then we're going to talk about Kananaskis country and what to expect out there and what to look for and talk to a local conservation officer out there with the Alberta Conservation Association. And then we're going to get some tips from me about hiking and an example of myself hiking with my daughter in the Gatineau Hills. Winter hasn't set in everywhere yet. I know it's snowing in places, but there's still time to get out there. I'll meet you back at the campfire. Getting Schooled with Miss Lily. Hi Lily, were you uh, able to find me some information on Braille Trails?
2: I did. I found it on the website americantrails.org.
1: Very nice. What'd you find?
2: The website has a resource section that's all about sustainable and accessible ways to safely experience the outdoors and provide opportunities to interact with nature. They also have a great resource about how to create Braille Trails.
1: Braille trails, eh? Like, so what is a Braille trail?
2: Uh, A Braille nature trail is a nature trail with Braille informational signs and physical aids that allow people with vision loss to experience the trail unassisted.
1: Does that mean I I get to go by myself now? I don't have to take you with me? I
2: think so. (laughs) Braille trails usually include a guide rope for people to hold and follow along the path with markers for Braille informational signs.
1: I I could go alone, really, like...
2: it's amazing. Good luck getting there, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> some, tra- some trails have tactile walkways to provide direction. Others have audio components, such as guided audio tours or smartphone access. And many are wheelchair accessible.
1: You know what? That reminds me of that trail we took in uh, just outside Quebec City on Ile d'Orleans, the island there. Remember, we went to that living museum, outdoor museum. It was the shipyard, right, where all the people in Quebec City and, and, and the islanders... Where they had their ships built and repaired and stored in the winter, like they said they had like 200 ships there, uh, and everyone just took sailboats. Like there was no cars, no oh, wagons, yes. no roads. They just drove around in their boats. So it was a it was a mega operation. And to walk around there with that headset on, you guys told me the numbers. You said, "Dad, it's uh, plaque <laughs> 6. and then I would just say, "Okay, plaque 6, punch it into my uh, headset uh, player there and it would tell me what was going on there and i told you guys
2: yeah it's like you it's like you became the tour guide when you explained what you were hearing as we walked through the different exhibits it was it was interesting it was cool. like
1: transported back in time it was uh, i liked it. i liked i liked that kind of experience i mean I, I mean i'm not a big fan of wearing headphones when i'm doing a tour but, you know, when you want to get the information and if it saves everyone from having to read the signs out loud to you,
2: yeah. you know, it
1: gives more freedom to everyone to do their thing.
2: And it was just us there. It's a pretty small little exhibit. so
1: It was, but it was spread out. It was all spread out. It was yeah. pretty cool.
2: But check this out. There was other information on the website that you might also find cool. Yeah. Have you ever visited a sensory garden? A
1: sensory garden. Well, you know, like what? Just nice smelling flowers? Mm-hmm. I mean, I do that here. Your mom does that here. We have beautiful flowers all summer.
2: A sensory garden is designed to provide tactile experiences through the use of specific plants in a specially designed layout to create opportunities and accommodations for people with vision loss and others with disabilities to enjoy the touch, sound, and smell of the outdoors.
1: Touch, sound, and smell. So we're not just talking smell here. Touch and sound and smell. What about taste?
2: Um... (laughs) <laughs> well, they actually do have plants you can taste. Some do they? of them Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. All like vegetables.
1: I like that. So I like that. It's real multi-sensory, right?
2: Yeah. Many also have audio features, guide ropes, or rails. Yeah. Raised garden beds and tactile pathways for people with vision loss to utilize to walk along the paths unassisted. So you can go there by yourself, too.
1: So Braille Trail meets sensory garden. You know what? I could retire.
2: Well, I checked out <laughs> I checked and Canada would seem to have several braille trails. Okay,
1: tell these, me about them. These
2: include the trail in Kananaskis Country in Alberta. There's a braille trail that follows the power line right off way between the William Watson Lodge access trail and the road to Canyon Day Park.
1: I know William Watson Lodge. Man, that, I'm going to talk about that in a bit here. That's a really cool
2: Another is the First Lake Braille Trail in Lower Saskville near Halifax, and another is the Braillard Nature Trail in Sydney, both in Nova Scotia.
1: Sydney. You know what? Sydney has this huge waterfront with a big long boardwalk and all sorts of green space. That makes sense they put a trail there. That's pretty cool.
2: And I found this too. The Loretto Sensory Garden in Georgina, Ontario, located on a hilltop overlooking Lake Simcoe. According to their website, Loretto Marylhome Home is a spiritual center owned and administered by the Loretto Sisters. Um, yeah, okay. Um, not that kind of spiritual center? Uh, no, they're nuns. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> of, of the Institute of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Oh, ah,
1: yes, okay, I'm crossing myself.
2: The, the website says the center is a ministry of the Canadian Loretto Sisters with a special focus on the areas of justice, education, and spirituality. Very cool. The website goes on to say the Loretto Sensory Garden allows people to focus on the healing properties of creation. They describe their garden as follows: Here is a place to experience and wonder all your senses. Taste the herbs in the raised beds, see the color of many native and favorite flowers and bulbs, touch the leaves that are silky, soft, prickly, fuzzy and smooth. Hear the sounds of the winds through the the grasses. And the bamboo chimes smell the fragrance that vary with the seasons as we move from lilacs to roses and heliotropes.
1: Wow, I feel healed already just (laughs) listening to it. That's amazing. And that's in Georgina overlooking Lake Simcoe. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. That sounds like a real sensory garden.
2: Mm -hmm. I know, it's cool.
1: Hey, thanks, Lily. Yeah. Time for the
2: bucket list.
1: Every city has its parks and every city has its nature where people love to go and recreate. You know, in Calgary, it's Kananaska's country. There's no doubt about it. It's about an hour and a half drive west of Calgary. As you're driving, it's not boring at all. I mean, it's open, it's wide open, and you're just staring at those mountains coming at you and the foothills before the mountains like waves. It's absolutely breathtaking. You know, if you haven't been to the Rocky Mountains, they are the youngest mountains in the world. So when you're driving west and you're looking west, you see the the cracked faces where the mountain and the land where it rose up and created the mountain faces. And those are often sheer cliffs about 3,000 meters high. So you'll see just pure rock face going straight up 3,000 meters above the foothills. Uh, And you won't see all 3,000 meters, but you'll see quite a bit of it because some of it's hidden by the foothills. But it's absolutely astonishing. How does anyone get up there? I mean, you'd have to go straight up with a rope and cleats, spikes and everything driven into the rock face for footholds and so on. But on the backside, if you're coming towards the Rocky Mountains from the uh, west and you're facing east, it's like the land just tilted. All the land is just sort of sloped up. And that's called the backside of the mountains. And you can climb up those backsides. There's three zones, basically. There's the first zone, which is the, the tree zone and you have to get your way through these trees. And you're not going straight up because if you go straight up like a like a mountain goat, you've got to have pretty powerful legs. So you do what they call switchback. You zigzag your way up. So instead of climbing straight up like you are stairs where you're just lifting your legs and lifting yourself vertically upwards, you're walking more of a slope. You're making it more into a ramp. You, you turn left and you're sort of perpendicular to the slope so you're moving left upwards at the same time but at an angle that you can manage without tiring your legs excessively and then at some point you got to switch back so you switch back to the right and you angle up towards the right of the slope again on an angle of maybe 10 degrees or 7 degrees and you switch back and forth and back and forth and you work your way up the slope. Now once you're past the tree line and you're above the trees because the trees can only grow so high and then the uh, climate is just too cold, too windy and there's just not enough soil left up there. So what you get, that next zone is called the scree. That's all the rock that sort of come loose from the top of the mountains and it's sort of just tumbled down towards the tree zone and you'll have rocks the size, mostly the size of cantaloupes. They'll be smaller and some will be larger. So you have to pick your way around the big rocks but there's not that many and mostly you're just walking on all these sort of cantaloupe, orange, apple sized rocks and they're all just loose. They're all just sort of piled up against each other. You know, this is where you get your, uh, your landslides as if uh, there's an earthquake or if you displace a big rock below, all the other ones come pushing down after it. So you have to be a little bit careful, you know, they're always moving. They're always moving towards you. If someone's ahead of you, uh, you know, they could dislodge a rock and it can just tumble down uh, these little boulders. But I mean, even a rock the size of a, an orange coming at you, bouncing dense way down can can leave a pretty good um, bruise on your shin. But because you're still doing the switchback, the person in front of you is always to the left or the right of you. They're never directly above you, except when you're doing it, your turn at the end of your switchback. So you have to be careful. You have to uh, pay attention and you have to wear boots with steel toes and steel soles because if a rock comes down hits you on the toe lands on your toe you don't want to be disabled and have to find yourself hell of off the mountain slope and you got the steel soles as well so when you're stepping on these rocks and something can be a little bit pointy you're not hurting the bottom of your feet now for guide dogs that gets a little more challenging for sure then you have to be super careful and they do have hiking boots Roughwear has hiking boots for dogs now that's just amazing you know so then you get above the scree and then you're onto the bare rock and it's just flat rock and it's sloped. Again, you're going up the backside of the mountain, right? So there's no soil left up there. There's maybe snow, but hopefully you're going up there after the snow's melted. But usually the wind is pretty constant and it just drives the snow off that bare rock. So even if it's still winter, that part of the back side of the mountain Right at the top will be bare rock because it's very steep. The snow has very little to stick to and it, the wind is so constant. It's just really just driving the snow right past the mountain. Except for the edge of the mountain, as the wind passes the edge of the mountain, the the craggy edge uh, going from a westerly direction, it builds up there. The snow sort of builds up. It creates a sort of, not a snow drift so much. You could call it a snowdrift, but in mountain terms, it's called a cornice. And what it is, it's a, it's a lip of snow that builds up around the edge of the uh, mountaintop, around the uh, edge of the cliff, let's say, the angled cliff. And it just builds up and builds up and builds up. So what you see is rock, 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 and then a nice uh, strip of snow, maybe a meter wide, a meter and a half wide. But you don't want to walk on that snow because that snow is only about a meter thick. And then there's nothing beneath it except 3,000 feet of air. You do not want to walk on that snow cornice. Then the amazing thing, of course, is when you get to the top of the mountain and you, you look down, <laughs> look straight down 3,000 meters, and you're looking at all the other mountaintops and the sky and down into the valleys. You do a little ritual at the top of a lot of these mountains where you take a rock and you pile it on top of the other rock and there's a little pile of rocks and that signifies how many people got to the top of that mountain. And some of those mountains, they only have maybe five or six rocks. Some have none. Some have a pile of maybe 50 or more little rocks, little hand-sized rocks that you bring up and you put on that pile. Just to, just to let everyone else know you were there. And maybe you'll even put a little note under there. But here's a little bit more about Kananaskis Country from the uh, Alberta website.
0: Located in southwest Alberta's eastern slopes, foothills, and mountains, Kananaskis Country covers over 4,200 square kilometers of some of the most spectacular scenery in the world. With over 4 million visits per year and a population base exceeding 1 million bordering this natural wonderland, Cananiscus country is not immune to development and use pressures.
1: Now there's a lot of groups, of course, that care about the uh, nature there. And they want to make sure it's not destroyed. I mean, with all the oil exploration that takes place throughout Alberta, you know, there's a lot of pressure. And there's ranching. And, you know, when people raise cattle in Alberta, they don't create fences. The cattle just roam, mm. right? They, they brand the cows. And then they just roam, and they get up above the tree line even sometimes to feed on the grass that grows above the tree lines. And you'll see cows near halfway up a mountain sometimes. It's quite, a, quite spectacular. But here's a group called Friends of Kananiscus Country, and here's a little bit of what
0: they do. Working collaboratively with our partners, we develop opportunities and programs for individuals and groups to experience Cananiscus Country through engagement and sharing through trail stewardship and community engagement by colon. Bullet actively protect the ecosystems within Kananiscus Country through trail care and other volunteer programs semicolon. Bullet educate people about the appropriate use of this natural treasure through our environmental education program semicolon. Bullet engage communities and individuals in the stewardship of Kananiscus Country through direct participation and sponsorship opportunities semicolon. Bullet supports sustainable use initiatives undertaken in partnership with the Kananiscus Division of Environment and Parks.
1: Well, I spent some time up there. When I was doing my master's in environmental studies, I, I took part in a field uh, research group that went to Alberta for a month, and we explored the uh, foothills of the Rocky Mountains. Peter Lougheed was a premier of Alberta years ago, a very famous premier. Uh, they named a provincial park after him, and in that provincial park... There is an amazing place that was created uh, for people with disabilities and their families to recreate in. It's called William Watson Lodge.
0: William Watson Lodge provides year-round, barrier-free, wilderness lodging for persons with disabilities, seniors, and their families. Operated by Alberta Parks, the lodge is situated in beautiful Peter Lougheed Provincial Park, overlooking Lower Kananiscus Lake. Named after William Watson in Alberton who worked to improve the social and environmental conditions for persons with disabilities. The lodge and surrounds include 22 accessible cabins, 12 full-service campsites, one comfort camping site, an accessible picnic area and over 20 KMS of accessible trails.
1: How cool is that, right? Like, you know, fully accessible, 20 kilometers of fully accessible trails?
0: The lodge will be closed during the two-year construction period. The government of Alberta is investing $6 million into the project. The new lodge will enhance the overall visitor experience and safety and bring the facility up to today's international accessibility standards. I know that's a little bit
1: disappointing news, but you know what? You want to put this on your bucket list because if you're going to go to Alberta, go to Calgary and go to the foothills in the country, this is somewhere where you might want to book a visit to book a stay a week with your family. We're talking a resort here, folks. And right there in the most beautiful part of uh, Canada's country, you know, at the entrance, the gateway to Banff National Park, the Bow Valley with the Bow River, it's all right there. So here's another one with a trail, one of these uh, fully accessible trails that I wanted to tell you about. So even if William Watson Lodge is closed, it's not the end of the world. There's other places, many other places. So here's an accessible place.
0: An alternative accessible Kananiscus site worth visiting is Bow Valley Provincial Park. The Lorette Ponds, Colon, is a day-use area that offers stunning views and is located off of the Kananiscus Trail, left paren, Highway 40, right Peren.
1: So Highway 40 is a, a north-south highway that travels through the foothills. So you're, you're driving right through the foothills with the, the mountains on one side of you and the foothills on the other. It's not that far from Calgary. It's about an hour and a half drive.
0: MT Lorette Ponds is a 1.1-km loop trail and is an ideal spot for a fall picnic or a relaxing stroll on paved paths. Don't forget your fishing gear, as the ponds are stocked three times each year. Wheelchair-accessible fishing, accessible parking, picnic sites, and vault toilet. The accessibility of MT Lorette is dependent on weather conditions. Here's part of a conversation
1: I had with an official from the Alberta government responsible for conservation, Mike Roadkey. He is a senior biologist. You know, it, it's the rest of Alberta's kind of uh, backyard and 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 the place to go and uh,
2: you know I- enjoy the outdoors and relax and uh, recreate, and that that is all sorts of things. It's hiking, uh, it's snowmobiling,
1: it's horseback riding, you name it, but we're finding that
2: maybe in some areas, in some circumstances, we we might be loving these places to death, and we really need to reevaluate our approach to the use of
1: these watersheds. I think it's really important that all of those qualities that draw us to that area, we preserve those qualities. You know, keep it in a good state so that our kids and their kids can enjoy the same things I enjoy. It's not just about Banff National Park, right? There's so many other parts of Alberta and Kananaskis country. This is the mountains you want to see. I mean, when you're in Vancouver and you're looking east toward the mountains, you're looking at the backsides of the mountains, all the treed slopes, you know, they always talk about clear-cutting the mountains. That's what they're clear-cutting is the backs of the mountains. But when you're in Calgary looking west and you're seeing those craggy, beautiful young mountains that are freshly broken out of the earth, that's just totally impressive, absolutely mind-boggling compared with the flatness of the rest of the prairies when you're looking east and you're just doing that 360 turn. Well, I hope I've done a great job describing that to you. I, I know I haven't done it justice, but uh, definitely something to experience for sure. Outdoor tips and tech. Six on your
0: left, south,
2: south, southeast, southeast.
1: Here's some tips that uh, I recently filmed with AMI This Week and uh, you can see that video. If you want to watch the video, uh, look uh, for Lawrence Gunther Hiking. It's on AMI This Week. It's a five minute video, but you know, like everything AMI does, it's all well described and it talks about the different ways to hike with a pole and a dog. And I'm doing this with my uh, eldest daughter, I hope you learn something about hiking and the different ways to use a hiking pole and a guide dog on a trail.
2: Here's an AMI This Week Shortcut with Lawrence Gunther.
1: We're here at the Gatineau Hills, located at the southern tip of the Canadian Shield and the northern end of the Ottawa Valley. It's the heart of Gatineau, Quebec, and just 15 minutes from Ottawa, Canada's capital. You know, I love the outdoors, and this is a great place to go snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, or a hike. Today my guide dog and I are hiking the trail at Lack Pink along with my daughter Alexandra, who'll be my sighted guide. Together we'll show you some of the tech and tips I use for a fun and safe hike. When it comes to hiking if you're blind or visually impaired there's a few things to consider. The first is using GPS on your cell phone for emergencies and orientation. No one should hike alone but just in case something should happen and you need to find your way back out to get help Make sure you have your cell phone with you. The GPS will work even if your cell phone coverage doesn't. Create a waypoint before you head off onto the trail. That way, you'll be able to find your way back out. Microsoft Soundscape is a GPS app that can do just that.
0: Beacon about 70 meters.
1: Using the Compass app is another one that can get you back in the right direction.
0: Compass, 188 degrees, S.
1: Another thing to consider is using a hiking pole. On a normal hike, my hiking pole will get used about 20% of the time, and my daughter will guide me about 5% of the time. Having a hiking pole can help with balance and for assessing upcoming terrain and footfall locations, even though my guide dog is still performing 75% of the work. Ah boy. Sighted guide technique will be used when we're going up and down steep sections of the trail, or when the trail gets too narrow to use my guide dog.
2: There's a bit of a root here.
1: Okay. This is when I'll drop the harness on my guide dog and use the leash only. Then both my sighted guide and myself will grab opposite ends of the hiking pole and I'll walk directly behind her. Yeah, it's perfect.
2: Step down here.
1: hmm Good. When it comes to paths that incorporate a lot of stairs, there's two options.
2: Okay, we're coming up to some stairs here, Dad.
1: Okay, find the step. The first is using your guide dog and harness, which can be the slowest, but still a safe way to go downstairs. The second is using the hiking pole in combination with the dog and the harness to find the top of the stairs, which goes faster, but I still need to respect the dog's training and stop at the top of each set of stairs. Good boy, fort. And sometimes there's multiple tripping hazards, which is when I'll use both the guide dog and my hiking pole.
2: There's a step here, Dad. Big step, okay. And a boulder coming
1: up. Okay. Lots of rocks?
2: Yep, careful. All
1: right. Good job. Good boy. Yeah, sometimes having the stick and the dog is the perfect combination. Good boy. That's good job. And I always use some sturdy hiking boots to protect my ankles and my toes. And don't forget, when you're hiking beautiful trails like the ones in the Gatineaus, take some time to stop and admire the scenery as described by your sighted guide. So tell me what you see.
2: Well, On the left side, that's where it really rises up. There's lots of kind of a rocky face there, and that's okay. where all the, it goes up quite high, the hike, where we go and there's more stairs and lookouts.
0: Oh yeah, lots
1: of stairs, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. good, good. It's all about enjoying the outdoors safely, in this beautiful fresh air and Gatineau landscape. I'll talk to you guys again soon.
0: Let's go, Dad. All right.
1: Braille Trail, Sensory Gardens, Gatineau Hills, and Rocky Mountains. I think we covered a lot of territory today. You know, there's one story I want to tell, though. You know, I mentioned that I took that field expedition with my university back, oh, okay, back in 1989. I'm going back a few years. You know, I was young. I think I was maybe 23, 24 at the time. Doing my master's degree. I took this four-week trip with a bunch of other master's students and, and our leader. Well, you know, we did a lot of stuff. We camped. We slept on the hills. We slept the mountains we traveled around a lot we explored the, uh, the old man river dam project and a whole bunch of environmental issues going on at the time and then it came time to climb a mountain and uh, my leader said to me Lawrence he said I don't think you should come and I said why he said well it's, we're going up a mountain it's pretty tough. you know there's no trail huh he said and I said why well, I'm okay and then he said well There's going to be grizzly bears. There's a good chance there's going to be grizzly bears. I said, "Uh uh-huh. You know, and I'm not too afraid of bears, but, you know, I've had some experience around bears. And he said, bears hate dogs, and you have a guide dog, and you might draw the bears in with your guide dog. And I said, that could be a real problem. I said, why don't we put it to the team, because I really wanted to go. So he said, okay, we'll let the team decide. So, you know, we mentioned the concerns to the team, and my team said, He's coming. He's coming, and the dog's coming too. We'll be fine. So we did it. We did the track with the dog, and uh, what a hike. Going up was challenging for sure. Coming down was way harder, and it's really hard on your knees coming down because every time you step down, all your weight is coming down with all the force of gravity onto your leg and onto your knee. So your knees really get sore coming down. Like going up, your legs get sore. Your muscles get sore. But coming down, your knees are taking the pounding. Like that was a hair-raising uh, experience for sure. We got caught in a storm up there. We barely made it down before it got dark. I lost my coat on the way down. I, 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 I was so hot, I took off my coat and I just tied it around my waist. And at some point, it fell off. Well, uh, my leader went back and got up on me the next day. Can you believe it? He found my coat on the side of the mountain. I never asked him to do it, but he did it great guy great experience you know you can do it if you want to just have to put your mind to it have some good support some good friends and uh and wake up in the morning and put your boots on your hiking boots on and just do it follow me on facebook twitter and instagram or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favourite podcast provider. We're dropping new episodes every Friday, folks. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments on your podcast provider's site so other people will learn about our new show. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at AMI-audio. I want to thank Nizreen Abdel-Majid, Sam Robinson, and Paula Denine. They're my technicians. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank.
0: This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. I'm Arthur
2: Shepherd of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air.